Welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. The purpose of our podcast is to inspire you with stories and wisdom learned from people who are out there killing it. People who at some point in their life gave themselves permission to succeed. Now, onto the show with your hosts, Matt Halloran and Doug Heikinen. Hello, and welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. We're live at the SALT Conference at the beautiful Bellagio Hotel in Las Vegas. The Permission to Succeed podcast is about hearing from and being inspired by people who found that point in their lives to throw caution all aside and go for it. They gave themselves permission to succeed and help those around them succeed as well. And our guest has absolutely been crushing it for a long time. I'd like to welcome Cormac Kinney, the founder and CEO of Diamond Standard. Doug, delighted to be here. Thank you. So you're a builder, you're an inventor, you're a software architect, and you're a serial entrepreneur having built seven companies. Seven software companies. Honestly, I just like to build. I like to build and I like new ideas and to see them come to fruition. So let's talk about the latest one, the Diamond Standard Company. What is it? Diamond Standard is actually, we solved a, a... long time problem. We've created the first fungible diamond commodity. It's just like a gold bar or a gold coin where every bar and coin is identical. They have the same value. And so you can trade them very efficiently. And for the first time, institutional investors or private investors can hold diamonds, know what they're worth every day, trade them very easily. So I've been married and gone to pick up a diamond. And are the diamonds all the same? Are they, well, we all know there's different values of different diamonds. So how does that work and how do they fit into a bar? Yeah, that's the challenge. So every diamond is different. And if, when you've shopped for a diamond, you've probably noticed that the prices are nonlinear. That if uh, you have a three carat diamond, it's not three times the price of, of a one carat diamond. It's 10 times the price. And that scale goes up and up and up uh, in a nonlinear uh, curve. And what we've done is we've invented a way that we made very transparent and public. It's not a secret, but we created a methodology to combine groups of diamonds so that every group together, it's like solving a puzzle. Those three or 10 diamonds together always add up to a aggregate scarcity or a nonlinear total that matches a standard. Interesting. So why diamonds and thinking about gold versus diamonds, what's the advantage of having diamonds? Well, there are advantages, but what I was interested in was that diamonds were the last commodity that has not been commoditized. It's a huge natural resource, 1.5 billion, I'm sorry, 1.5 trillion of, of diamonds are above the ground now. And unlike any other natural resource, there's no commodity market. There's no spot price, like with gold, platinum, palladium, pork bellies, anything else. You have a market and you have a a futures contract and you can trade it and there's price discovery and transparency, et cetera. That never existed for diamonds because every diamond's unique. What we did that was very special that no one's achieved before is we require that we basically buy every type of diamond every day. 
So we created a, an electronic diamond exchange where we're an active bidder. We're the market maker where we make a cash bid on 16 million types of diamonds every day. That bid is actionable. It's on the exchange. And because of that, we instigate the price discovery process. To create the exchange, we have to buy a statistically valid sample of all diamonds in the market. And we buy in proportion to the natural geology of diamonds, what's actually in the earth over the last 50 years. We buy in that exact same proportion. And then a computer uh, allocates those diamonds to the commodity fairly and transparently. So the result is we have to buy diamonds on a regulated exchange with a transparent arm's length bidding process. We have to put those diamonds into a commodity transparently. Anybody can verify the contents, whether they're in your hand or on the blockchain, you can verify. And as a result, the we achieve two things. One, we've created a single commodity that always has the same value, whether we make it now or in five years, the geology is identical in every commodity. That means it has one price. But we've also solved the transparency, illiquidity, and high friction problems with the diamond industry. And so we're creating massive efficiencies in that large supply chain, which is about $90 billion a year. So we have a ton of advisors coming to our site, iris.xyz. How would you explain it to them so they can explain it to their clients? Well, it's, it's easy because it's a, it's a new commodity that's just like gold. There's a bar, there's a coin. Every bar has one market price. Every coin has another. We don't set that price, by the way. We're a commodity manufacturer. So just like the people who make gold bars, they don't set the price of gold. We don't set the price of the, of the diamond bar and coin. The market does. Our job is to make them consistently every day so that the contents are always identical. And it's a natural diversification that uh, diamonds have been relatively similar return curve to gold over the last 20 years, but actually much less volatility than gold. And what we, when we make the commodity, we always deliver it. We never hold it. We don't allow trust in our system. We don't ask anyone to trust trust us about the contents of the commodity, trust us that we made it, trust it that it's deliverable. We always deliver it. Everything's always transparent. And so it's a, a hard asset that you can actually keep at home under your bed. I don't recommend that. The vast majority of our clients keep it at a custodian. We have uh, a custodian in Delaware, which means that there's no sales tax, which is very important. And that custodian actually holds the commodity in a smart cabinet. And our commodity has a encryption chip inside. It's sealed with the diamonds and it's wireless. So using that chip, the owner, while it's at a custodian, they can audit the commodity. It's it's actually audited constantly, automatically. They can also transact that commodity, which means if you own this diamond bar or coin, you can use your uh, smartphone and you can sell it, or you can take a loan against it, or you can attach it to a smart contract. So in effect, what we've created is the first physical asset 
that can be attached to any digital contract on any blockchain, actually. So if you haven't seen these things, go to diamondstandard.co, and they're really interesting to look at. And what's also interesting is they have a graphic of $2 billion of gold versus $2 billion of diamond and the, the vast difference in the, the size of that. It's, it's amazing. So let's talk about a little bit about becoming a serial entrepreneur. Where, where did you grow up and, and can you think about where that happened? I was always independent. I grew up in the Midwest in Missouri, outside of St. Louis, and I was the oldest of, I am the oldest of six Irish Catholic family, went to Catholic school as we discussed, got a lot of discipline. I was never very studious, but I was always very curious. And I actually, I started my own, uh, you know, lawn mowing service and, and driveway repaving in high school. And I had one good friend whose father was an entrepreneur. He owned restaurants. And I thought that was the greatest life ever, just going to his restaurants and, and uh, having employees and just doing things. And that attracted me. And I ended up going east. I went to school at Carnegie Mellon where I got a scholarship. It was a great foundation in engineering and computer science. And I stayed there through graduate school. And actually at Carnegie Mellon, I started four software companies, no, three software companies, in a row and got very lucky. It was each time I kind of had a new idea that helped a certain industry. And each time those companies got acquired by public companies who could do much more with it than I could. Mm -hmm. uh, and what were some of those things? My first company was in the insurance industry and it was a summer job, a sophomore year where I was the only person at this insurance agency that knew how to use computers, basically. And they asked me to create a system to project the uh, sales of agents. If they make a certain number of calls, how many of those would turn into appointments and how many would turn into proposals, et cetera. And that uh, I built for one office of Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance. And that following summer, I offered it to other agencies, and they all ended up wanting it. And so they ended up just buying the whole, what then was a very small company. Uh, it was a, kind of a one-trick pony company. But that really got me started. That gave me a little bit of capital. That gave me a lot of confidence that I could build something, deliver it, and find a market. And then you got a chance to work with Rupert Murdoch, because you invented Network <laughs> Inc. That was a long step forward. Uh, my other in between that, I, uh, my big first win was I built an optimization system, and that was a turning point for me. It was where optimization to this day is a big part of, of, my, of my career. But I had a, a lucky job scheduling production for H.J. Hines, and for that I'd, I had just taken my first optimization course and I built an optimization system that ultimately got acquired by Oracle. Uh, so that was kind of the, the big jump. But fast forward to, to Rupert. I had designed a, uh, it's a, using social graph technology, which is people are mostly familiar with LinkedIn, where you have a, a graph of, of your social connections. And I proposed and I designed and had built a prototype for a social graph that was integrated into newspaper sites. And 
presented it to, to Rupert and, and News Corp, and we ended up doing a joint venture where we built and deployed that for News Corp and initially for the Wall Street Journal. And in the end, we were launching it actually on lots of newspapers, the New York Times, the Washington Post, Forbes, Fortune, Reuters, and others uh, had expressed willingness to deploy it. But then Rupert decided he wanted to keep it exclusive. And so they ended up acquiring everything. So being part of a huge company doesn't seem to be your thing. Well, it was actually an incredible luxury. I remember at the time just picking up the phone and saying, I need 10 computers, and they just showed up. Yeah. And that was astounding. And man, the HR and the benefits. So in News Corp, I ended up recruiting internally 75 people, and they had those resources. He gave me a, an office space, and we were able to very quickly put together an organization that was never possible when you're an entrepreneur starting up. So you left that, and what came next? So I, uh, I'd been working on this diamond project actually for five years, and a lot of R&D. So during all that time, including with, with News Corp, I'd been working on this diamond research on how to create a commodity, um, did a lot of patent work on that, et cetera, and development. But in the meantime, my wife is a, is a very influential jewelry designer named Mimi So. And her company was previously part of Cartier. Uh, she was the first American brand in Cartier. So I've been interestingly exposed to jewelry, even though I'm a very, you know, my wife likes to joke that I'm the software and she's the hardware. But uh, I launched a company in 2015 called Flaunt, F-L-O-N-T. And it's now the largest jewelry sharing company. Uh, it's very much like Rent the Runway where anyone can borrow fine jewelry and it's shipped to you via FedEx and uh, it's an unlimited collection that you can borrow. And if you love it, you can buy it. And we solved a really big problem in the jewelry industry, which is millennials like to buy everything on their phone. And jewelry is a high touch sale. So Flaunt brings the jewelry to the clients and, uh, and it helps educate you and build that confidence and ultimately 10% of our members end up buying something for as much as for an average of $4,000. So it's a massive new sales channel for the jewelry industry. That's amazing. So each time you have one of these ideas, there's, there's a process. There's, there's the climb and the struggle. So, so talk up a little bit about what that is and, and how you think about it and you achieve it over and over again. So does it become easier? Yes, it does become easier because, you know, when, when I want to launch a new product, I know all the marketing channels and techniques and costs and the vendors. And I have a, you know, I just hired for Diamond Standard, as someone who worked for me before at Flaunt. And uh, so you have resources and you have uh, shortcuts. Uh, you still have to develop the idea, develop the market. And th there's probably 20 companies I haven't started because I really had to convince myself, is there a market? Is it defensible is a very big issue that I've come across many times where I've developed something and then there's knockoffs very, very quickly because I, I love new ideas and 
guess what? So do competitors. So you really have to pick your battles and and find something that you can develop with your resources. And a lot of things you can't. A lot of things only a big company can do. And you have to have a lot of energy. You know, I haven't taken a vacation for years. And you have to be willing to make that sacrifice. But make sure you're doing it on something that you can win. But it, it seems like you're much more methodical about it now rather than just saying, I have an idea and I'm going to make this work. When I started, as I mentioned with Northwestern Mutual and H.J. Hines and uh, the, my third company I haven't even mentioned, NeoVision, was a very large trading systems company. We ended up getting funding from Deutsche Bank and Bear Stearns and J.P. Morgan, and that was acquired. Uh, it was rolled up by the Carlisle Group into SS&C, which is a public company. Uh, all three of those companies started from happenstance, where I had a summer job and I found an opportunity that that a big company needed something. Or in the case of NeoVision, I uh, had helped build a, a trading floor, a simulated trading floor with live data inside of Carnegie Mellon, and from that I learned that data, you know, data management was a problem and. Uh, big data management and visualization was a big need. So those are three examples of my first three companies that were all just started because I was inside of something and found the opportunity and then built from there. So this is the Permission to Succeed podcast, and usually people that we talk to have are building one thing and they are become very successful at it, and they have this moment that they look themselves in the ear mirror and say, I'm just going to go for this. You seem like you may have that moment over and over again, or has your past success built a confidence that I can go do this? Part of it's a confidence, yes. Diamond Standard is, is my, first of all, it's my magnum opus for my career. I'm, there's no doubt about it. This is very big. We're changing a massive industry. We're projecting over a billion dollars revenue in our first year. And we already have pre-orders for about half of that. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely vastly larger and more, you know, bigger opportunity than, than anything I've done before. And I could not have done that if I didn't have three other successes. And, you know, fortunately, I have a long list of investors who know me and who've succeeded with me before. We have uh, people like Jamie Dynan of York Capital. Uh, Glenn Kasher of Light Street. These are massive $10 billion hedge fund managers, uh, and they are backing us. And having that ability to get capital is, you know, can be insurmountable if you don't have that access and that experience and those connections and track record. And uh, that's not something you can just decide to do. It took 20 years to build those relationships. You've, you've had success over and over and over. What does that mean to you? What does success mean? For me, it's building. I, I, I love building a new idea and see it achieving use. And for us, it's now it's with you know, optimization at Heinz, it was saving them lots of money in a factory production schedule. 
and using that capital for whatever else they wanted to do. For Diamond Standard, we're creating something that never existed, which is this diamond commodity. It's going to create, I think, tens of thousands of jobs in that, first of all, more of the revenue will accrete to these small artisanal miners that we're now eliminating so many different hands that diamonds go through because it's, they can sell on exchange, have transparency. We're creating the opportunity for hundreds of financial applications, ETFs, futures contracts, options contracts, creating a massive new asset class for RIAs to offer to clients, and it's a very good investment. It's stable. I, I shouldn't give investment advice, but, uh, and I'm not, this is not investment advice, but uh, as you can tell, I have lawyers. <laughs> but it is something stable. In this world of, of crypto and digital, the blockchain is a massive invention. It's, you know, it'll change a lot of things, but humans need hard assets so they can have a foundation of trust. And we're bringing that back into a digital asset world. So we'll get you out of here with this question, which is being so successful and being a serial entrepreneur, what advice can you give other aspiring entrepreneurs out there? Well, you know, this may be tough love, but you have to really know if that's right for you. And a lot of people, I've met hundreds and hundreds of, of entrepreneurs over the years who they're attracted to the idea. They may or may not have the, you know, something new to offer, but they want to build it. You have to really be sure that you're not wasting your time. And I've, I've seen it so many times. Someone has a good idea, but it's not great, and they, and they invest years in trying to develop something where, yeah, even if it works, you can't protect it, or the market's not big enough, or you just really have to do your own research on yourself personally as well as on that marketplace and find something that is a real opportunity. Karmic, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been quite a pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. For everyone at iris.xyz and the Permission to Succeed production staff, we're so appreciative of the SALT Conference for having us here. Uh, this is Doug Heikinen. Thank you for joining us. Are you ready to change the way you communicate with your clients? Are you tired of being the best kept secret in your area? Learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your business. Contact us today and see what the power of podcasting can do for your business. Click on the Contact Us link on our website at topadvisormarketing.com and set up a call to learn more. Follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook for more updates and information. This was brought to you by iris.xyz, a platform helping financial professionals become better in business and life through new media and new voices. Visit them and learn more at iris.xyz.